I'm reading Colossians 1, 15 to 23. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. All right. Thank you, Shirley. Thank you, worship team. And what a blessing. So good to worship together. I should probably throw out there, I, uh, I think on Easter, I, um, I, I called Becca's cello screechy. And that was a miss. I meant the contrast. Good Friday, Easter. Thank you for playing. It was amazing and beautiful. I don't know if you all noticed too, she's singing while playing. That's really hard to do. Yeah. So all of you, Megan, first time on the keys there. Um, so that's good. You know, Becca, cello, turn it on the, ba- on the side and cello, you get a bass. You guys are school of rock, anybody? Okay. Good morning. We're <laughs> Stay with me here. My name's Dave, and it's good to be with you. Um, uh, I'm, I'm also one of the pastors and just glad to, to get to gather together. Hello on, online. Um, I know we have some different folks in different places who have told me just how much they're, they're blessed to be a p- part of our congregation. So thank you also for everyone who puts this on. Um, I'm going to fix this podium right now real quick here because... Otherwise, I'll be distracted the whole time. There you go. It's, I mean, right? We have, hey, first time. Works great. It's kind of like when you have soap and you put water in it, and it kind of waters it down, and you're like, oh, man, it's embarrassing. Um, I just wanted to do that right now, kind of get it out there, get that taken care of. I'm off to a great start. (laughs) So um, uh, we have a couple things before we get into the sermon together in Colossians chapter 1. So go ahead and Uh, plan to be there, and and I'm really excited for our time together in God's Word, and also just excited to to get to to have some kind of family conversation together this this morning. I know, um, even I was just thinking about it beforehand, I was talking to a couple high school students who were at prom last night, and uh, and then also there was a wedding that probably a lot of people from our church were at and a part of, and just there's a lot of good things. Um, Some people we know and love who've been here from day one. Uh, in our church, we're uh, got engaged. Congratulations! Really exciting. Yeah, love you guys, and so exciting. And also, we have some other friends who we prayed for and got to cry about leaving, and they're back just in town for 
aforementioned wedding. So again, some cool things just that we get to talk kind of family, what God's doing among us as a family. And so on that note, a couple things I want to make you aware of. First is uh, next Sunday is Mother's Day. So there, you've been warned. If you're in this room or watch online, you have no excuse if you miss that. So it's Mother's Day. We all have someone we can thank, reach out to, uh, whether we are single, married, um, whomever it might be. God has blessed us with mothers in our lives, um, whether it's our own biologically um, or not. We can, we can thank the, the women in our lives uh, who, who, who really operate as mothers. And so it's, a, it's sometimes a hard day, but also a, a day to, to give thanks. And so um, on that, we're going to help celebrate because we've got a, uh, a youth bake sale. And uh, I'm excited for this. We'll have some really sweet uh, youth handing out these flyers that look just like that. So if you can't re- read that, that's okay. You'll see it. Uh, you'll get one. And if you don't get one, uh, you might get form tackled and handed one. So be sure to take one, all right? Because if we see you without one in the parking lot, uh, we'll chase you down. But um, this is for the, um, the Redemption Youth Camp is coming up. And we're praying for uh, nine youth and, and me- mentors to go. And, and this would just be a great opportunity opportunity uh, to, to, to support that. It's a significant work, and there's a, a fairly significant cost to it as you um, kind of the whole group. So again, I want to encourage you to be praying, thinking about that, and, um, and make these youth work for it, though, right? So buy something. Uh, they'll have a, a bake sale next week. If you do forget Mother's Day, you'll at least be able to buy something, okay, to pretend like you didn't forget. So there's that, and we're, we're excited about what God's doing. We had four youth go last year. And so uh, again, we're, we're praying to more than double that this year. Now I want to also switch gears to a kind of a, just some more kind of family conversation, a financial update. This is something we've done probably less than five times in the life of our, of our church. And um, honestly, candidly, I want to say I'm sorry for that. Um, I want to just give an update again for where we're at. And, and on one hand, um, just to let you know kind of out of the gates, we're for the first time ever, uh, through the first quarter as a as a church plant, we're we're behind behind um, in our giving. We're below budget, and uh, that's never happened. And 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 I think what that revealed to myself and the other elders and, and pastors is is just that we've. Um, I think, and I'll even just kind of take the ownership of this, kind of drop the ball on not discipling our congregation in this. I think we've really probably taken for granted just that we've always been in a, in a great place financially. And um, this has really given us an opportunity to pause and to look at why are we in this place and what's, what's going on, kind of dig into some of the numbers. Um, candidly, uh, less than 10% of our congregation um, covers the vast majority of our of our annual budget. And and so on the one hand that's you know an opportunity to say thank you for your generosity for those who give faithfully and consistently and sacrificially and it's also an opportunity for us as a church to say um, we've kind of failed in discipling our church in this way. Jesus is really clear that that um where our treasure is, there our heart will be also. And, and that's not just that I actually heard this, this phrase that on some level where we are with 
giving and finances can serve as a thermostat. It can kind of reveal where we're at, but it can also be a, a th- I'm sorry, a thermometer, which can reveal where we're at. You can tell I'm not a meteorologist uh, or just an adult, right, who should know these things. <laughs> a thermometer that reveals where we're at, our temperature. A thermostat sets the temperature. And so in many ways, how we engage with finances not only reveals where we're at, but also can set the tone for just our our lives in general. And I, again, would say this isn't even just about money and making budget. We don't ever want to be a church that just waits till November and then kind of gives us update and has a whole campaign or whatever. Again, this is a discipleship issue. And we, we love you, and we care about you and us, and we want all of us to be growing and walking healthily and faithfully with Jesus. And um, so we're good. God's in control. We know that. And uh, I'll quote uh, Tom Schrader. Some of you know him. He planted East Valley Bible Church, which then planted Redemption Church. And uh, he's, he's now gone to be with the Lord. And it was just a funny guy. And something he, w- he would say is, hey, we know God's got us. We're in good hands. There's plenty of mo- money in our church the problem is it's still in most of our pockets. So, so uh, with that, um, just again, just pray about and be considering how God's weeding you to, to give faithfully, generously, uh, sacrificially, consistently. And uh, we want to help on that, on that end too. Um, so whether it's through automated giving, different things, um, we, we want to just keep, keep growing in that way as a church. Amen? All right, so I'm going to go ahead and invite um, one of our elders, David Wagner, is going to come up and just pray for that, pray for us as a church, uh, pray for the sermon and our time in in God's Word. And um, also, why don't I go ahead so you can just join me in the seriousness of this, but also kind of stretch your legs. Why don't we stand together, if you're able, as we we pray. Uh, Father God, you are the, the giver of life. Uh, the giver of our breath, Lord, and uh, the giver of our creation. And when we turned away from you, you gave us your only son to reconcile us, God. So mm. we have an example, uh, a perfect example of, of giving from you, God. We thank you for that. We thank you for just your faithfulness to our church uh, since it started, Lord, uh, financially. We, we so appreciate that and uh, appreciate all who have contributed to that. And uh, we know, Lord, that it's not about uh, the amount Learn that from the widow with the two mites. Mm. That um, you really look at the heart, Lord. And I pray that, uh, yeah, just during this time, uh, that we would all just kind of look at our own hearts and uh, try to to discern in your wisdom where where is our treasure, uh, what do we put our faith in. And I pray, God, that you would just uh, reveal that to us. And uh, and even saying that, I acknowledge that there are people on fixed incomes facing rising costs, or mm. people who are lost their jobs or in transition. Uh, I pray that you would show us as a church how to be giving to them, how mm. to come alongside them and to help yeah. them. And so, uh, God, yeah, I just pray that you would just convict us all individually, wherever we are, whatever our circumstances, that we could uh, just reflect the giving nature of you, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, thank you, David. Yeah, you can have a seat and uh, come back next week. We'll be talking about politics. So <laughs> it's going to be a good time together. No, we're not really, but... Uh, yeah, I just love, I, I love our church and uh, uh, love, love this time together. Let me ask a question to consider out of the gates here. 
Who's the main character of your life? So honestly, think about it. Think about how you evaluate, how you're doing, how you engage in different settings. You're going to a party. You're going to a group of people. I was with a group of pastors earlier this week away for a couple days. And, and it's, it's so weird how much that can reveal how prone I am to navel gaze, to think about myself. How am I going to compare to others? Am I going to be, how's our church going to compare? Which we dominate, by the way. No, just kidding. That's not the point. I need to go back to another retreat to learn. Right? No, we love each other. We're talking. But even just deeply, how we, how we evaluate life and relationships so often reveals who the main character is in our, our lives. And that's what we get to look at. One of, it's, it's dangerous to say my favorite passage, or our, but it, like our church started spending a month in this passage right here. Our very first month together as Redemption Tucson, we were in Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 23. And, and so I'm, I'm excited for us to dig into this. The, uh, the whole theme of this book of Colossians as we're walking through it. This sermon series is, is, is the supremacy of Jesus in all of life. Another word for supremacy, because we don't use that a whole lot in our everyday, is, is absolute authority. So the absolute authority of Jesus in all of life. And specifically today, the title is, um, is, 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 Jesus, the author and the hero of life. The author and hero of the story. And so that's what we get to walk through together. And it's important that we think about this because as I mentioned earlier, our propensity is to think that life is either, okay, hear me now, either dependent on or about us. The success of it, the goodness of it depends on me. So some of us feel a weight and a burden by that. Actually, all of us do on some level. Or the whole main point is all about my comfort, my approval, my fame, you know, this or that. And and, and that's our propensity because of what the Bible calls sin, which we'll talk about, right? You're at church. That shouldn't surprise you. But hopefully it'll be in a way that, that doesn't end there, but reveals the good news that Jesus sets us free from obsession with self so that we can flourish and thrive in living life that is not ultimately dependent on or about ourselves, but is set up where he is the author and the hero. So I forgot to ask if you need a Bible. Kim's getting buff biceps back there holding a stack of Bibles. If you ever wanted to swear on a stack of Bibles, you can. But also, if you need one, uh, hold your hand up high and we'll get you one. So please hold your hand up high and we'll get you a copy of God's Word. I want you to see this is God speaking to us, um, not me. Y en español, si quiere la Biblia y no tiene, por favor, le confanto su mano y diga español. Y si no tiene, uh, eso es un regalo so, so again, we want to make sure you have a Bible, and if you don't own one, this is our gift to you. All right, let's pick up together in Colossians chapter 1, verses in verse 15. He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, 
the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things, how many things? All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. This is where we get the passage, or the, not a passage, the phrase that some people even have on shirts right now, all of life is all for Jesus. Okay, that, that comes from this reality, what we just read here. All things were created through him and for him. In fact, we have a, a quote here that is also where we got this. Um, Abraham Kuyper, Dutch theologian, said, said this, there is not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign, right, authoritative, over all, does not cry, mine. There's not a molecule, there's not an event, there's not a tear, there's not a, a hair, a single hair, there's not anything in the entire, he also, he'll use this language, Abraham Kuyper does, of cosmos, right? That's just all Everything that is visible and invisible over which Jesus doesn't say, that's mine. That's good news. This is, this is, this is creation. Okay, this is the beginning of the story is God who existed before all things. All things that exist came through him, from him, and he rules and reigns over all things. And he says, that's mine. That's things physical, that's things invisible, all things. In the beginning, God, right? We just spent almost two years in the book of John, and it begins with this good news that Jesus is in the very beginning, and all things were created through him and for him. He is God. He is the author of the story. And then in verse 15, it, this word is used there, firstborn. Okay, think like rights and privileges, Especially in that day, in that culture, the firstborn is the one who has all the rights, all the privileges. And we see that because Jesus is the creator, he's the firstborn. He, and then when he entered into our human existence, he maintained that. He has all the rights, all the privileges as God the Son, eternally God the Son. He has it all. He has all rights, all Privileges, and it says that he rules over thrones and dominions, visible and invisible. Okay, think of things that are physical, right? Politicians, generals, business leaders, Hollywood people, you, you name it. All places of power and influence are all ultimately submissive to Jesus and his authority all things physical and all things invisible, the spiritual realm. Okay, in our day, that can be kind of like, oh, we don't talk about that, whatever. I'll just, out of the gates right now, we assume that is true. There is, is a spiritual realm, and even the spiritual realm is created by God, is subservient to God. If ever you've, you watch like, I don't know, the first thing that comes to mind for me and most is like the Smurfs, or something, right? Like one of you guys know the little, little blue guys, all short little 
characters are my favorite. So the Smurfs, right? And there's, there would be this like, this angel on one side and this demon on the other. And we kind of have this picture of like a tug of war and who's going to win and oh, let's wait and see. And some theologies even kind of embrace that picture. I'll just tell you that it's completely unbiblical. We know the author. We know the, 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 the hero. We know who has all power. There's no like who's going to win here. God's not biting his nails. He has absolute sovereign power and authority and control over all things. And that speaks into who we are. Because we, in God's creation, we are created for him and by him. Not as a cruel puppet master, right? Sometimes that idea comes. But as, as, a, as, a, as a designer, as, as, as a craft person. Some of you in here, maybe whether it's construction or, or art or, or, or culinary arts or, or music, whatever it might be, right? So a master composer or a master baker, right? You want to put your, who you are, your gifts, your, 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 your character, all of these things on display, and, and you don't just do that kind of haphazardly, right? You do it with intentionality, and then you represent yourself with this great dish or this great, great, great construction project, well, God did that, and, and the crown moment of his creation is you and me, is image bearers. Jesus, bearing the full image of God, the firstborn, created us to bear his image. The, the theological term there in Latin is imago Dei, image of God, and then directly connected to that is corum Deo, before the face of God. That's this idea of all that you do, if you're, you're a mechanic, how, how you work on the planes, how you relate with your coworkers, how you participate in your hobbies, uh, every, how you study as a student, everything is meant to reflect and display the fact that we are image bearers of God, created with purpose and intentionality. But sin enters into the story. Sadly, and tragically, it doesn't end there. It doesn't just continue on in beauty and goodness forever. So the second chapter, if you will, in the story of God, the true story of the entire world is referred to as the fall or rebellion. Okay, look with me there um, briefly in verse 21. Paul says, and you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. And then even right before it in verse 20, he says, and through him to reconcile to himself all things. There's an assumption here in this passage that if there's reconciliation, it's because there's conflict that comes before it. And, and that, again, is simply put is sin. On an individual level, it looks like this. Look at this um, quote here from Soren Kierkegaard, who, true story in part, I, I threw it in there because uh, David Wagner is David Soren Wagner. There he is. So if, you, if he's in trouble or you want to, you know, make him, no, that's after, named after Soren Kierkegaard. I'm, that's right, right? Okay, I'm not just throwing out some other random Sor Uncle Soren. Hey, Soren Kierkegaard, this is what he said. Sin is seeking to establish a sense of self 
by making something else more central to your significance, purpose, and happiness than your relationship with God. Sin is seeking to become oneself to get an identity apart from God. Simply put, the way we sometimes talk about this, right, is sin is not God. If God created us in the beginning, creation is that our identity and our purpose would flow from him. Everything about who we are and what we do comes from God, right? When I go to a pastor's retreat and I'm going to compare myself to others and there's this whole kind of who's this and that or wherever it is, right? In the school cafeteria or the lunch group, whatever it might be is how do I measure up here that there would be, can you even fathom life without that? That is sin, It's either intentional sin that we produce or it's just simply living by nature in light of living apart from God. Finding identity, purpose, happiness, joy, security apart from God. In Genesis chapter 3 is where we see this, 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 this tragic reality of the of of this this questioning of God's character his power his goodness is he really trustworthy does he really have your best in mind I think you should replace him if you eat of this fruit you'll be like God you won't need him you won't need to depend on him even though that's where goodness is found that's where life is found you can replace him you can you can work hard enough and then have enough security. You can, you can work out enough and then you can have enough physical health. You can, you can put on enough makeup or whatever it is and then you will be pretty enough to establish your security and your acceptance. And that's all a result of sin, not God. And, and I, uh, I was talking to Annie apprentice yesterday who's a scientist engineer they're all the same all that kind of realm and she used this language as we were talking about a uh sorry i'm like a humanities guy so from my sense and she used this term um annie what is it i know you love talking in public invasive species okay that what came to mind first for me i've shared some of this before is 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 a bad smell Right? An invasive species that you just get used to. You just assume, oh, that's just how, how it's supposed to be. No, it's not supposed to be there. When I lived in Northern California, you would see these signs all over that said, keep Tahoe blue, keep Lake Tahoe blue. And it's because this algae had been introduced into this beautiful, massive lake that started to invade, right? to take over. It wasn't supposed to be there. What hits home more for me is um, when I first moved from San Diego to Arkansas. Yes, I need counseling just for that alone. But right, I moved from San Diego to Arkansas, and I remember the first time I ever went into a particular town for a sporting event. I think it was a track meet, and we all had our windows down. And as we pulled into this town where I think like Tyson Chicken, it was like one of their, their headquarters, I could not fathom the smell that was coming in through the windows. And I'm like... Turn the bus around. They're trying to poison us. They like this is, and then you'd look around and people are just sitting there in the town, like talking, you know, maybe out on a date, eating food. And I'm like, these people don't even know, like they're being poisoned right now. This is disgusting. But over time, if any of us who grew up in a town like that, or maybe are farmers or whatever, or just I don't know, single college guys, um, 
right? You just get used to nasty smells. That's not the way it should be. Okay, that's, that's the way we interact with, with sin. Oh, that's just, that's just middle school. That's just how people talk about each other. Oh, that's just business. That's fill in the blank. No, we've grown accustomed to a brokenness, to, to, to sadness, to pain, to, to, to conflict, to a world that's not supposed to be this way. And God loves us too much to leave us there. So thankfully, the climax of the story, from creation to the tragedy of rebellion or fall, is now redemption. <laughs> Sounds like a good name for a church. <laughs> we take it from this because this is our only hope, our only good news. Pick up with me in verse 18. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things. How many things? All things. No stone is left unturned. When the hero of the story, who's also the author, enters into the tragedy of his world that has been hijacked by an invasive species, he says, no, no, no. I'm not going to leave one stone unturned. He enters in and, 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 and victoriously sets things right the way they should be in order to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven. Again, physical or spiritual. Things seen, things unseen. Making Peace, shalom, setting right the way things should be by the peace or by the blood of his cross. There's so much imagery and language there that we can't miss. First of all, right, he's the firstborn, right? The, the creator of all things, the firstborn of creation. He is not created, he's the creator, he's the first. But then when he enters into our story, there's incredible imagery here that he comes in as one of us, but not just like a younger child or younger sibling, but no, the firstborn, the one with all the rights and privileges. But then what does he do? He lays all those rights and privileges down, counterintuitively using his own blood, shedding his own blood, taking on all of the brokenness and the sin and the shame on the cross, a sign that was so ugly and gross that, that in this time, young people couldn't even say it. Or even know about it. It was like, honestly, there, there's like like little kid, like junior high graffiti that's found of kids drawing crosses. And then there's actually this one image, perhaps you've heard of it, that's called the, the ass on the cross. That means donkey. Okay, on the cross. And it's this idea that anyone who's, 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 who's hung on a cross is, is, a, is a jackass. It's a pathetic way to go. But what did the firstborn of all creation do? He put himself there. And counterintuitively, what did he do there? Just die and suffer? No, he brought peace. He, he conquered it. 
He rose from the dead, right, as we just celebrated two weeks ago and last week and today and hopefully every other day that Jesus brought peace by dying and raising from the dead. We can clap for that. We can say amen for that. Because church, listen, if it's up to us, if we're the author of the story, it's hopeless. If we're the hero of the story, it's pathetic. Because God loves you and me so much, he calls us into a life that isn't dependent on or ultimately about us. We find ourselves most fully and most freely when we find ourselves in our rightful place as image bearers of God, rescued by the hero, our big brother, our king, our savior, our Lord, Jesus. The firstborn of creation and the firstborn from the dead. And then the last chapter of the story, pick up in verses 19 through 20. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. So there's this, this picture here of now and not yet, of present and future. We're in the middle of the end, the beginning of the end. Because Jesus conquered death, because he died on the cross and rose from the dead, we now get to experience the good news. That though we die, though we're surrounded by the reality of death, we know that's not the end of the story because Jesus rose from the dead and he said, I'll do the same for you. He said, for those who put their faith in me, though they yet die, they will surely live. Those of us in here who have experienced death, who we can't hear the word death and not think of loved ones, of loss, of sadness. The good news of Jesus informs our lives now because because it's now already become. there's, There's hope now. Those of us in here, hear me, who have experienced a broken relationship, who have experienced sadness, who have experienced in some cases even, even broken families, though maybe we have lost or don't talk to or aren't in connection with or in relationship with our fathers or our mothers or our brothers and sisters, we get to experience the good news of Jesus now shaping us now with brothers and sisters, mothers and fathers as part of the body of Christ. But if that's it, I know some of us even now we can't, we can't fathom. We're like, yeah, that's good, but I still weep. On Mother's Day next Sunday, there will still be for some of us tears of joy and tears of sadness simultaneously. That's reality. That's not the way it should be. And that's not the end of the story. One day we're told in Revelation chapter 21 that Jesus, who's right now making all things new, will one day wipe away every tear. 
sadness that right now feels so real is kind of lurking around every corner and every shadow will one day be turned into laughing and rejoicing once and for all. And then Paul's words here, this last part, is important for us to pick up on. Verse 23, similar to last week. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Don't forget what you know. Some of us read that verse and we think there's a sense of angst and frustration, but it's not. Similarly to what we talked about last year, or last, sorry, last week. Paul, it's like this. Okay, hear the tone. Okay, look at me right now. His hands are on your shoulders as an older brother saying, I know you're tempted to believe other things. All throughout the week, you hear songs, you see shows and movies, you see commercials, you're, you see magazines, you, your own heart sometimes betrays you. Yourself, the world around you, the unseen realm is whispering lies and accusations, accusations tempting you to believe, maybe if I do this, I can replace God. Maybe life would be better if I'm the author and I'm the hero. And there's not a sense of angst here, but a sense of encouragement. Okay, think of a, of a coach spurring you on, just like in, in uh, Hebrews chapter 12, where, where the author says, says, so now run the race that has been set before you, fixing your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith, who for the joy set before him laid down his life on the cross. And then finish the race and is seated next to the right hand of God the Father, waiting for the day when all his enemies, when, when sin itself will be his footstool. Don't take your eyes off Jesus. He's the author. He's the hero. And in him, in him alone, life in its fullness and goodness is only and truly found. Let's pray together. Again, Father, thank you for this time that we have right now to sit under your good news, to, to remember the true story. Lord, I pray, I even, I pause right now, I want all of us to settle our hearts. If you're, if you're in here today and you've never put your trust in Jesus, if you've been striving and struggling in light of the story that's it's everywhere that says you've got to make something of yourself. You've got you've to take life by the horns and you've got to decide what you're going to be. You've got to find security and comfort and identity and power and, 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 and comfort and all these other things. And it's exhausting. The invitation, God's invitation right now is to find yourself in Jesus. To understand that you are a part of his story and he has your very best in mind. And then for those who would call themselves Christian, but week in and week out, we find ourselves tempted to believe other stories. We find ourselves struggling with fear, with broken identity, with hopelessness. Maybe other chapters, the second chapter of the story, this invasive presence has just become so normal 
because of Jesus' goodness and his love and his power, Lord, we pray that you will, you, will, you will lead us to dare to hope, to dare to believe, to dare to trust, to dare to experience joy, to know that one day that will be all that we know. So I pray that even now in our time of response, we will live into the good news, the reality that you, Jesus, are the hero, you're the author, and you are making all things new. Amen.